Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. I'm Teresa Wiedrich, Homeschool Life Coach at Capturing the Charmed Life. I'm dedicating this season of the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast to the overwhelmed homeschool mama, because you'd rather be clear, confident, and satisfied in your homeschool and life, not overwhelmed. On today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to Rebecca Rowland. Rebecca is a speech pathologist, writer, and Harvard lecturer. She's passionate about the power of language and conversation to enhance our relationships. In her latest book, The Art of Talking with Children, she'll show us how to enrich our interactions with our kids and build the skills kids need to thrive. She talks about meaningful conversations as a double promise. These conversations build our bonds with our kids, and they also help our kids become kinder, confident, and more creative. Rebecca Rollins' Tools for Communication will help you learn to engage in more rich talk, a methodology for a quality conversation, promote your child's empathy, curiosity, and ability to embrace challenges, and make you feel more effective and confident as a parent. There really is so much rich talk in this conversation between Rebecca and I. She says science has shown that the best way to help our kids become independent, kind, and happy is by talking with them. Not coincidentally, we homeschool mamas most definitely learn that this is the most important part of our homeschool. I am so pleased that I can introduce you to Rebecca Rowland. Welcome, Rebecca. It's such a pleasure to meet you officially. Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me. I am delighted. This is a conversation that becomes almost the focal point of homeschooling because the whole point is about relationship you discover. It's not about the actual educational content. It's not about socialization. It's about getting to the heart of your child and really listening to them. So I'm really looking forward to this. Thanks for being here. Thank you. So for all those that haven't met you yet, will you share, I'm going to take it from a different take. I'll bet you get introduced based on um, your credentials and where you've been studying, what you've been studying, all of that. But I'd love to hear about you and your kids, your family. Sure, definitely. Yeah. So I'm the mom of two kids, um, ages five and 10. So I have a five-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter. And I live with my husband and kids in Boston. So we've been here for some time. Um, I'm originally from Georgia, actually, but um, my kids are Boston born and raised. So um, that's home for them. Beautiful. Well, it's lovely to have you here. I would love to hear about your story, why you chose this particular topic for your doctorate. Is that right? I'm saying that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it's interesting because I grew up actually really interested in poetry writing, writing, interested in language all of that in communication. But um, as I grew older, I was really interested in education, but Mm -hmm. I felt like we weren't paying attention to language actually in education. We weren't actually looking at how do we talk to people? You know, what's the power of the back and forth conversation? Mm -hmm. Um, And I found in my research, as I started studying education, we talk so much about what to say to kids. Like, how do we say this? What's the right recipe? But we really don't think a lot about, well, what are kids saying? What's the interaction? And that's what I became fascinated by, is that when we actually turn the table a little bit and look at, well, how can we help kids expand on what they're saying? How can we help expand their thinking and explore? Then it's a really different story. And so that, to me, was something we hadn't much talked about and I hadn't much done in my own parenting. 
So the ultimate um, experiment subjects. Exactly. So they were sort of the whole part of my journey was me thinking with them, kind of working with them to do this process, which has been really fun. That is so interesting. I wish I had your um, perspective or your lens from the early days, Um, because as every mother ever knows, they discover that what they thought they knew is not what actually is required. Exactly. And it's funny because I found myself as a parent, I think I knew a lot of the research, but even as a mom, you know, you realize you're not always able to do what you know, especially when you're stressed out or tired or whatever. Exactly. Or have any emotions at all, really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the things that you share remind me of the recent release of Brené Brown's book on the Atlas of the Heart. So identifying with words, the emotions or the feelings. I'm not going to use those interchangeably. You know the difference between the two, but I'll use them interchangeably. But the difference between them and what the benefit is to identify things with words. And we're, you know, enabling our kids to do that as well. But we're not just giving them a vocabulary. We're actually listening to them. Exactly. So I think that's what's so powerful is when you think about, you know, are we doing academics? Are we doing social skills? We're doing all of it together. And I think that's what's so powerful about conversations, especially homeschooling, because you're building the relationship while kids are learning. So Exactly. So I'd love to hear your origins then. You, um, okay, you just as an aside, every homeschool family always gets told that this is amazing that you're homeschooling, then your academics will be so amazing. They can go to Harvard. (laughs) wow i know gotta love that it turns out none of my kids have gone to harvard nor do we expect that any of them will for sure i don't advocate that it's a whole you know universal goal for sure but i'm curious how you got to harvard would you share just a little bit for sure yeah so i um I mean, I went to Harvard for grad school. I actually went to Yale for undergrad so um it's been kind of a, a journey but i guess i would say i've just been Probably I'd put it as like, I'm really a lifelong learner, which I think has really helped me. Um, I was never, I mean, I've always been a strong student, but never extremely strong. I was not valedictorian, anything like that. I had pretty good grades. Um, But I think what stood out is that I really kept trying new things. I was just really interested. You know, I tried, I started running the newspaper at one point. You know, I was like, oh, I like that. Let me try, um, you know, running a literary magazine or starting a literary magazine. So I had lots of ideas and initiatives. And I actually think... Um, just because I didn't really know any better, I thought, well, why don't we try it and um, and actually test these things out? And I think one thing led to another. And so I ended up, you know, very early on, I got a job as a reporter, as a teenager for my local paper. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so I went around and there was a tornado or something that had hit. And so I you know, interviewed people and I felt like, oh, this is so fun. And so I think um, just having the freedom and the permission to try new things and to yeah. not worry so much about failing, I think that's actually what supported me a lot. I got to say that is something that we homeschool families tend to um, tap into is that, okay, yeah, you have these ideas about what an education should be, but maybe we should look at the child in front of us and say, okay, who are you? What's inside of you to get curious about or to learn about? And let's focus on that now so that later on they're not at 65 or so wondering, what am I doing with my life? Is this meaningful? But rather, they've already gone to the who am I? What's meaningful in life when they're young and let them explore. You must have had some remarkable parents to let yeah, you have that kind of freedom and really to trust you. Definitely. Yes, yeah, so I think that it's been a really neat and interesting journey in order to yeah. do that. So for sure. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. So tell me the origins of your book. Obviously, your research 
fed the book, The Art of Talking with Children. Yes, definitely. So it's funny because the research fed my book, but really what fed it the most was becoming a parent, I would say. Yeah. Um, because what I realized was the research doesn't always align with what we see in our own lives. Sometimes it does, but you really can't take it as a prescription. So yeah. that was what was so interesting to me is actually seeing, well, what of the research can we take and actually tailor for our own families? Because I realized I knew so much, but yet it didn't seem to totally translate or apply wholeheartedly to my own family. You know, um, we were often on autopilot kind of, you know, having a lot of logistical conversations. Yeah. Uh, and then I realized once in a while we were having these really great, um, interesting, enjoyable conversations. And I was like, well, how did that happen? You know, how did these things, how did we start asking these interesting questions or how do we all get engaged in this? And so I really started taking kind of a scientific lens and figuring that out and seeing how we could do more of it. So your research, will you tell me a little bit about that, how you actually created the construct for you to learn from it or glean from it? Definitely. Yeah. So I would say I kind of took three perspectives. So first, my perspective as a mom, um, okay. so just my own life and anecdotes. And then as a clinician, so I'm a speech language pathologist. Yes. I've worked with tons of kids and families, a lot of kids who've had um, language or learning disabilities. So mm -hmm. I take a lot of anecdotes from that. And then I did a really deep dive and in interviews into the research. So I interviewed psychologists, linguists, neuropsychologists, and really looked at kind of what do I know from my own kind of anecdotal experience and how does that align with what's being found um, across the world? So sometimes I would interview people from Australia in the middle of the night uh, or, you know, people from Chile who are doing this work. So really looking across the world of like all of this really interesting new research about conversations. So uh, it was a whole journey and I think it was very humbling to realize how you know little part of it I am, but I wanted to bring across some of that work. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you about this because this right here becomes what most veteran homeschool parents know as the most important thing <laughs> is the relationship. And uh, I heard you speaking on another podcast about how to engage younger children and to really listen to their hearts and how to engage older children. And since I have four older kids, my oldest, uh, let me see, my oldest is 21. Then I have a 19 year old right now, a 17 year old and a 13 year old. So I'm in that older stage. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And those kids, the older ones, really all of them now, actually, um, I have a conversation with them that is so much different than what they were when they were little. Sure. And it was a, a challenging transition for me. Not for them, but for me to go, oh, wait, you know stuff I don't? <laughs> yes. What? And that happens yeah, as a Yes, school. I'm even experiencing that now with a 10-year-old. Yes, yes. Right? And sometimes, like, they legitimately know way more than you in some realm. Yes. And even their natural instincts in relationships are different, and they naturally know certain things that you don't know, and they keep growing in that as well. Um, so I'm curious if you are able to share a little bit about the things that you would do for younger children and for older children in order to have that or um, that conversation with them. I'm interrupting this episode because I want to connect with you for a moment. Our conversation about connecting with our kids and how important meaningful conversation is can sometimes be a guilt-inducing reminder that we're not connecting good enough. I often speak about eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball time, that we need to give that eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball time with our kids and be reminded about it as homeschool parents because even though we're with our kids a lot of the time, 
That does not mean that we're genuinely connecting with our kids, that we are making them feel heard and seen. As I look back on my years of homeschooling my kids, there have been many iterations of how I showed up in my homeschool, and some of them I would not be proud to say, why don't you watch me? Because my goal was more about accomplishing to-dos, checking off the tasks, telling myself that I did it right because it looked like perfect philosophy, it aligned with a book that I had in mind, or it was consistent with the local private school's expectations or some iteration. But it wasn't entirely focused on relationship. I knew that my relationship with my kids was fundamental to the entire family experience, of course. I didn't always know how to connect in with myself, let alone my kids. I wasn't really clear on who I was. I wasn't clear on what I needed. So I sure didn't know how to do it for my kids. So if this is something that you identify with, I invite you to the Overcoming Overwhelm group coaching intensive because this will be a fundamental tenant of what we engage in this group coaching program. Yesterday, I came across an article that I wrote years ago about if I could homeschool my children all over again. If I could homeschool my kids all over again, I would make relationship the most important element of my homeschool. If you're interested in this group coaching, you can connect with me at www.capturingthecharmlife.com. Now back to the episode. I talked about three main pillars of Rich Talks and this idea of ABC, um, which I write about in the book. And so I think that applies really as kind of an overall framework. Um, The first is just being adaptive. And I think that's especially what we're talking about is really thinking about, well, what's the age and stage of my child? But even more than that, like, where are they right at this moment? So I think sometimes we think about, well, yes, it's a two-year-old or it's a 17-year-old, but I'm really meaning like, well, yeah, exactly. What does your child need in this moment? Like, are they having a moment of needing to reflect with you? Are they having a moment where, you know, they're more shut off, they just want to listen to you and kind of be quiet for a while? Um, And I think that that's so important is just to figure out how do we adapt to the person in front of us, which I think means a lot of check-ins and really just recognizing our own assumptions. So sometimes we think, oh, I assume my child can't know this or can't understand this. Right. And kind of checking that and saying like, well, maybe they can, you know, maybe they, they might know that. So uh, my son who's five was recently asking me about basically about negative numbers. Like he was like, uh-huh. what's three minus four? You know, and I was like, and someone I think is sitting next to us was like, oh, you don't, you know, you don't know that. That's, that's, that's not a for your A different grade. You know? yeah. yeah, it's a different grade. It's not for your age. <laughs> And he's like, no, no, what's three minus four? I want to know, you know? And I was like, well, it's negative one. Let's like take a number line. Let's see, like, see what, you know, let's have fun with it. And he actually really understood, not at that moment, but like after a while, he really understood it. He's really excited by math. And so it was this kind of, you know, interesting moment where I was like, well, yes, you do really want to know and you want to play around with this idea. And if you're not adaptive and you just say, well, that's not, you know, five-year-old, whatever, um, you know, you miss that chance to say, well, let's see what happens if we, you know, we actually take your question seriously. Um, So that's the A. The B is just standing for back and forth. And so I think we often talk about talking to our kids or at our kids, but thinking about actually talking with our kids, um, as in the title of my book, and like just thinking about how much balance is there between our talk and the talk of a child. 
and recognizing, you know, some people tend to be kind of over talkers or over listeners, you know, recognizing kind of where you fall on the spectrum and is there room for kind of more of a balance. Um, and the last is C, just child driven, meaning just to really think when we see and when we hear the child in front of us, really starting from that perspective. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean necessarily, you know, having only conversations about them or anything like that, but actually it's taking the time to understand, well, where are they coming from? Even if we disagree, can we understand why they're having this opinion, why they're having that thought? Um, and that's really what I've come to be um, thinking as kind of a framework that is tailored to all the different ages, but is kind of universal in its scope. Girlfriend, I wish I knew all those things way better. <laughs> Because this is stuff that over the course of time, I came to understand because it was right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Even the conversation bit where you said having the conversations, the most important element, that to me is the most important element or one of the most in a homeschool or in a home education environment is to recognize that those moments where kids are asking stuff, which are not always opportune moments, but when they ask stuff, that's the time to have that conversation. And as we all homeschool families know that the grade is just a construct for the benefit of a school, not for the actual child. And it means nothing, but that conversation I've had many times Uh, and, and different kids, you know, you have different kids. I have one kiddo who loves chess, aspires to be um, a professional in that or the name slips my mind right now. What is that? Um, anyway. Grandmaster or something. Grandmaster. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and he outstrips my husband at this point, who's loved chess all of his life. And sometimes I play with him, like I'm in the middle of a game right now. I don't like chess. I don't like <laughs> strategy. I don't, any of that is not my forte. But I'm like, okay, we'll continue to engage him in that. And so then I play, he calls, oh, mom, that's like, I don't, I'm going to make this up, the checkoff opening. And I'm like, <laughs> Yes. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How did you know? Yes, exactly. I have no <laughs> idea. Strategy. Yeah. I just moved the horsey that direction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody likes that in our home. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you learn from your kids. And, and just as you're saying, you're recognizing your child has this aptitude. So then you give them what they need right now. Or you engage them right now. Um, and they're all very different that way. But you spoke in the beginning, you talked about adaptability. And I think that's something homeschool parents certainly recognize very quickly. When we're having a dinner and we're sitting to have a conversation in the early years for me, I have four kids. They're all little. I was having these interesting conversations with my husband. He's a medical physician. And I'm like, okay, him and I are going to chat and the kids are going to be quiet at the table. Yes, Uh, I know, even with two, like, good luck. (laughs) Good luck. But there's such an opportunity to really allow them to develop their, their curiosities and to run with whatever they're interested in. So what do you want to know? And when they ask questions, allow them to enter into the conversation. I I totally agree. And I found actually that that can be such a good time at dinner, but even other times. Yes. Sometimes um, I, I had thought about conversations kind of in two buckets. Like my husband and I are talking, having adult talk, and then, okay, they're going to talk, you know, having child talk, whatever. But I've actually found that 
even you might think of it as strange, but even having the chance to talk about what you're doing during the day, even your work or something like that in kid friendly terms, like what's interesting about what happened? What was hard about what happened? And I mean, I, somebody said, well, that's, you know, what I do is really abstract. It's not easy to explain. I'm like, well, even like a rocket scientist could actually talk about in kid terms, like, what are you doing today? You know, I'm working on, I don't know, trying to get this thing to go into Mars or whatever, you know. So I think it's a good challenge even for us as adults to say, well, how do we translate our own lives and our own journeys into terms that kids can understand? And they often want to know. So I think to really engage with them as people and not just as their parents, um, I think is really important too. So when you were talking about the B, remind me what the B stood for. Oh, for back and forth. Back and forth. Okay. So you, you were talking about two kinds of conversations that you can have with kids. Would you expand a little bit on that? Yeah, um, so definitely. So this idea of talking with kids rather than mm -hmm. at kids or to kids. So right. thinking about the balance. So whether or not, you know, are your children talking to you in terms of are they expanding on their thinking? Are they just responding yes or no to what you're saying? And if that's the case, like how can you take your questions, or your comments and shift them a little bit so you get more from your children? You don't feel like you're doing so much kind of conversational work but they're actually doing a lot of that work for themselves. And that's actually better for them usually because they're actually thinking out loud as they talk through things. And it's better for you because you're able to understand them better rather than just saying, do you want X or Y, do you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I've really done work, even, especially in um, empathy. So how do you build empathy? Not in things like lecturing or just saying, well, it's better if we do this, but actually from the inside out, you know, right. in the moments where kids are really struggling with the situation. Yeah, Ref uh, something I've learned through coaching training is reflective listening and really just helping them to see what's already there to get a little clearer what the other person is thinking and helping them to develop that for themselves. The The other realm that I see it in is having those conversations with your kids. They can take such different avenues with different kids. They're so different. And that is the ultimate surprise, I think, for the longer term parent is that the kids are so different. But whatever and whoever they are, when you get a little, um, you know, build that self-awareness stuff with them, but also I think learning about personality profiling, like Enneagram or Myers-Briggs, understanding what their root motivations are or how they generally approach life, relationships, thinking, it actually helps you to unravel a bit how to speak to them or how to even reflective listen to them. Definitely. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I have a whole chapter in my book, actually, the last chapter is on temperament. Um, and it doesn't, yeah, and it goes into a lot of those issues. And not only that, but I think thinking about our own temperaments as well mm -hmm. um, and how they are engaging with the temperaments of our children, either in positive ways or in ways that are, you know, maybe counterproductive and things like that. And so actually, how do we take the time just by raising our awareness about those temperaments to kind of smooth the interactions between us? So we're actually working in synchrony or in sync rather than, you know, butting heads. And so I think that is such a really important thing to think not just about each individual person, but how are they all, or siblings, how are they all working together? That's right. Uh, so I really like some of the things that you shared uh, for listening to younger kids and listening to older kids. So initially, you shared a little bit about storytelling for the younger kids or helping to build on stories, which you are doing with your daughter. Would you share a little bit about that? Definitely. Yeah. So um, I've had a lot of really interesting interactions, especially with my daughter growing up. And I think 
Um, one I'd like to mention is just one of, we were in the Museum of Fine Arts, actually, um, and she was staring at the mummies. And she asked me, well, where were the mummies before they were here? You know, where, they, where were they, or where do they go, actually, she wanted to know. And I was like, well, they're here. You know, they're, they're right in front of us. And she said, no, 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 I mean, like, they're where they went, like, their whole selves, you know. And uh, I got this, and she meant kind of their spirits or their, you know, souls or whatever kind of um, animated them. You know, and I said, well, I don't really know. Um, and she was like, well, where were they before they were born? And I said, oh, I, d I really don't know that one. And we kind of sat for a minute, and she kind of thought about it. Um, and I said, well, what do you think? And she's like, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where I said, I don't know where I was before I was born. Uh, and she's like, well, I don't know either. And I said, well, what do you think? And she said, um, she thought for a little while and she said, oh, I think I was an old man and I got sick of being an old man. And so I turned into a baby and that's how I came to be born. <laughs> that is so interesting. It was so interesting. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. Um, and I think about that and there've been moments like that. She's not always like that, obviously. But there have been moments like that where I just sit back and I'm like, wow, I really think children do have such, you know, rich imaginations, rich understandings of themselves and almost these intuitive senses of things. Um, if we do take the time even to sit and almost admit our own ignorance or our own not knowing um, and feel comfortable with that and not to feel yeah. as though we push <laughs> through that or let's just say here's just here's the answer, you know, and even to let our kids know that we're not the expert and sometimes there is no expert. Uh, I think that does give them the permission to really explore and, you know, use their imaginations in ways they might not otherwise. What have you learned from your kids? Um, so I guess I would say I've mostly learned to be humble, I think. Huh? Um, Amen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think no matter how well you think something is going one day and you're like, oh, I, I totally got that. You know, otherwise you'll think, oh, I, I didn't realize that that would be the after effect. <laughs> you know, that my child would then say, oh, well, because you, you were so flexible here, then I assume you'll be flexible here in this time when, you know, you weren't wanting to be flexible. Um, and so I think to really to be self-aware and to be humble in the sense that I've learned how to, I think, to apologize well um, and to <laughs> encourage my own kids to apologize well. And I think that that is a really key cornerstone of building relationships is yeah. the apology and being open to saying, oh, yeah, that didn't quite go as I'd like to and be able to laugh about it rather than to kind of feel like, oh, now I'm frustrated because I didn't get it right. That is beautiful. And thank you for that encouragement. We all need to hear that. And that was not at all what I expected that you would share. So that is, that is beautiful. That you learn a lot of that as they grow older too, not just the forgiveness, because that's just a lifestyle experience. We're human, so we're imperfect. But it's a great example, of course. Also, recognizing that your kids grow up and they have minds of their own. What else is that? <laughs> and exactly. As they, as they become teenagers, you're like, wait, what? I wiped your mom. You can't yeah. know <laughs> different than me. You can't. And this is the hardest thing is you can't call me on stuff about my own character and that I have to learn stuff. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yes, when you start noticing things like, oh, you know, yes, I, I've noticed that as well. My daughter is extremely organized and I'm not as organized, I would say. So yeah. already at age 10, she tells me things that 
I should organize better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they, they develop different perspectives on things. And as teenagers, um, I remember hearing a conversation you with another uh, podcaster and she was asking you about how to do that art of listening with older children. And I, you know, you had a a great um, example so what I what I was thinking as you were sharing this, because I didn't know what you were going to say, but is that we homeschool families have learned that the most important thing, and this is many families learn this as well, but we really focus in on academics and social stuff right off the top because we think, oh, we got to do that. That's so important. And then we learn, mm, no, it's relationship. It's the relationship you have with your child. And as they individuate, become their own person in their adolescence, there is a rockiness that can sometimes develop, especially with certain personalities, more so than others, that there is an inevitable challenge or sometimes just an uncomfortable thing that happens within us as parents that we can't control things anymore. We do not have the capacity to control how they're receiving us, how they're going to engage, you know, all the things. And so more than anything, the relationship is the most important element. That attachment or that connection is the most important element. Definitely. Yes. And I think that that is so key and especially recognizing that kids might need different times and places to talk as they get into that period. Um, So I've had parents tell me, for example, that, you know, their child or their teenage son really didn't want to have any conversations. And they actually went out into the backyard, they played basketball for a few minutes, and the son actually taught the mom something about basketball that the mom didn't know. Um, And just, you know, a few minutes passed, and then they went in and had dinner, and she said it was like the child was a different child. Um, yeah. Because they had this moment where they felt like, okay, I have a sense of mastery. I'm outside. I'm doing something active. I don't feel kind of pushed into a corner. I feel like their routine is broken a bit. Um, and so I do think to be flexible in terms of thinking about, well, something else might need to happen before we can have a conversation or before a child is able to hear what we have to say. Um, and I think to be flexible about that and to realize that there is always time, another time, if this isn't it. Um, is really key and something that I emphasize too. Yeah, that is the beauty of our lifestyle in general is that we're sort of always with them. We're not really always with them. (laughs) Unlike most people, they think we're always with them. (laughs) They're sort of tethered-ish. They're emotionally attached. I don't know if you've read Gordon Neufeld's book, Hold On To Your Kids. He's Mm -hmm. an attachment parenting Uh, psychologist. And so this concept of you create an attachment with your child that is more important than their peer-based attachments, and it actually creates a more confident or more comfortable human that can go out into the world and do their own things. And I've seen that with my kids. There's so much more of a willingness to go explore things and yet still be tethered emotionally to the parent and they almost take more risks because they know that they're safer and they certainly become more independent, which is a whole different discussion. It's kind of scary actually watching your child do independent things, but you're like, wait, I taught them that. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> but not independent from me. Exactly. You still say, yeah. <laughs> but that attachment is almost the most important element, even in that teenage years when they're individuating, you can't control it. But I loved how you shared how you can really listen to them is to allow them to teach you something and become or be the expert in that. Exactly. And I think that that is 
so fun for them, I think, but also it does, when we think about mastery and we think about so often kids are talked to or told what to do or told, you know, you don't have this right or let's work on this. I think they do often get the sense of, oh, they're just people in progress, you know, like they're going to become people later. <laughs> but giving them that idea of like, no, you are a full person right now, and I am interested in what you have to say. And, and actually, authentically, there are things that I don't know that you know, you know, at a certain age, um, I think is really um, compelling for them and does help build the bond for sure. Yeah, that's beautiful. So what are the things that you would say that you've learned from your research about your family that you now apply in your own family? Yes, I think um, one of the most important ones I would say is about this temperament, kind of the goodness of fit research, which is just thinking about, well, how does your temperament align with the temperaments of your children or not? Mm. And what can you do to smooth it? So I would say the first thing is just to recognize things like, well, how active are you? And at what times, you know, are you a morning person or a night person? What about your kids? Um, are you someone who's more inhibited when you speak or less? What about your kids? And I think to recognize that and then to check yourself when you see your child behaving in a way or speaking in a way that you would not, to think, well, is this something that's actually a problem or is it something that's a problem because it's not like how I am? And I think to me, that's been a really awakening thing. Um, just for example, even in the morning, my kids are both very active in the morning and I'm more slow to wake yeah. up and need coffee. Um, and I think that, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, my children are, you know, overly active or they're overly, you know, awake in the morning or that's bad or just be quiet or what, you know, but to find ways of getting out their energy while allowing me to wake up more slowly, I think has been really important rather than feeling as if, well, everyone should be my way or everyone, you know, yeah. you should be more like this. Um, and so I think that does really offer an opportunity for our own development and for our children to develop, not to say, okay, be crazy in the morning, but, you know, to say, well, I appreciate the way that you are and let's figure out a way that we can all be together in a way that functions. Beautiful. So when you're experiencing or when you're having a conversation with someone and they're having a real challenge with their child and there's an emotional energy that they know this doesn't feel right, what do you encourage or suggest? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is just to notice. So really to notice, take a minute and breathe. I think I know we a lot of people talk about mindfulness, but I do think to take a minute to breathe, to even turn away, to kind of face a different view, to literally just take a minute for yourself yeah. to kind of separate, I think can be so helpful. Um, and then I think I've actually had a lot of success, even with a five-year-old and with a 10-year-old to talk about it, just to reflect on, on the conversation. I think before, you know, I'll say things like, you know, I can see this is getting a little out of hand or, you know, I'm starting to get a little frustrated. So I'm gonna take a minute here I don't feel like I can talk about this more right now. Um, I want to talk about it, but why don't we talk about this later at dinner? So kind of like, let's see if we can take a moment and actually raise the awareness before things kind of devolve, you know, um, that this is what I see happening. And what do you see happening? And let's see if we can fix it. And kind of bringing kids to collaborate with you on that rather than mm -hmm. saying, okay, let me come in with my strategy and hope it works. Yeah, uh, I do think that can be so helpful. A self-awareness approach or a self-compassionate technique, really. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, to really say like, okay, well, I'm feeling this way and it's okay I'm feeling this way, but let's see if we can do something and like manage my own emotions. And you can watch me managing that, which I think is such good modeling as well. Um, yeah. So that when kids get in that situation, they're actually able 
to start thinking about, well, let me mod manage and model kind of my own emotions as well. Exactly. That that has been one of the biggest lessons that I've had as a parent is that there is nothing I can put in to make sure that I put all the ingredients in for perfect parenting experience. So I will enable my child to be have this wonderful childhood that they will never ask, mom, I think I need therapy for. Right. And it turns out, no, that's not my experience either. I really thought I could, you know, prevent that by reading all the parenting stuff and go to counseling or therapy for a long time. And it turns out, nope, not not even still. And so then accepting that this is the way things are. And also, how do I really just show up on purpose myself? And that means that I have to accept I'm not in control. Definitely. Yes, I think, yes, I totally agree that. And I think that's what's been so funny, because I have given talks and podcasts where people say like, well, what is it exactly that you should say to your child? Can you tell yeah. me like one, formula. two, three? Yeah, the formula that you say. And I'm like, I know, like, I do totally understand. I do wish that someone, me, someone else had that formula. I could read it and just tell you what to do. And that would be wonderful. But I, and I wish I could do that for myself. But that's kind of, I think, the unexpectedness and the beauty of it is that that isn't possible, you know, that we do need to focus more on how do we adapt? How do we cope with the unexpected? How do we enjoy the unexpected at some level at some times, um, rather than feeling, yes, as though there should be a recipe? Um, so yeah. <laughs> I think there's Turns no out the whole thing is a big learning journey. Exactly. Just yeah, it's like, and how do you learn? I think it's like, are you uncomfortable in your learning or can you make it, you know, a joyful experience at least sometimes? <laughs> yes. So you speak about allowing our children to have challenge and not, not that suffering per se, <laughs> but challenge and actually accepting it as part of their journey and its huge benefits. I'd like to hear what your thoughts are, are what are the benefits? What kind of challenges are we talking here? And also how do we allow ourselves to embody that so that we can be that model? Definitely, yeah. So I think first the idea of challenge is really just getting kids out of their comfort zone to feel as though they are able to take the risks that they have a sense they're capable of um, that aren't necessarily dangerous risks, but to expand their abilities a little bit to think about what they might do. So this means not only doing things that might be a little hard for them, but even to think bigger. So mm -hmm. sometimes I've seen, especially with the pandemic, kids are not really thinking very big about the challenges they could take on. So it's like, mm -hmm. well, I could maybe do something a little bit different or but not not really i don't want to get too scared too frustrated so i'm not talking about things that are physically dangerous anything like that but just trying out and challenging themselves so i think part of what i really emphasize is talking with kids about well let's set new goals for yourself not i'm not going to set your goals but like let's think together about what you want to do and kind of can we think of a bigger version of that you know could you think beyond what you're currently thinking and I think that that's a way for me of actually recognizing who is this child before you? What do they want? What are they interested in? And then how can we stretch that a little bit? Um, and sometimes I've noticed that involves us stretching ourselves a little bit to think, to be comfortable with the fact that, okay, I might see my child fail at this, or I might see that they get frustrated or that they want to give up or something like that. Um, because I think that is another component is I've also been guilty of feeling like, oh, but I just want them to succeed or I want them to have it easy, you know, but that isn't necessarily as much of a learning process as to really stretch themselves a bit more. 
and not really really reality i think either exactly yeah, yeah. because they are going to face challenges later for sure yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I think of my oldest daughter, independent from the get go, she came out of the womb saying, hi, I've arrived, I'll let you know what we're going to do today. <laughs> and then I, have, I have one of those. Yes. <laughs> and the fabulous teachers like really ours, but my expectation because she was my first, she's three years old going up to the cashier or the cafe cashier asking for a muffin. And the lady is like, Oh, she's so cute. And she's like, yeah. I'm asking for a muffin. Here's my money. Let's go. Exactly. Yes. And then I expected my second would do the same, but she was probably, I don't know, 10, 12 before she would go do that confidently and comfortably so different. Yeah. But I think we set the precedent. So, you know, I know you're not talking about these kind of risks. I think the riskiest thing that I did in my life probably is um, bringing our four kids on a volunteer um, hospital trip. My husband's a physician, so we were going to a remote hospital in Western Africa during the Ebola crisis. Oh, wow. and, and that one, that one was a couple arguments with my husband. So somehow we did it and discovered that, yes, indeed, there was a, a potential threat. We never saw Ebola. We saw many other things, but not Ebola. And that that kind of energy that we bring to our home or to our family, to no surprise, brought a lot of independence in our children mm-hmm. and how they engage things. And, you know, you don't have to go that far and do something quite that risky, but just making intentional self-aware choices like of our own um in our own sphere for ourselves when we do those things more is caught than taught and our kids will recognize that we just took a risk so then our kids will take a risk and the same you know same for suffering is recognizing that this life is imperfect there will be challenge and instead of trying to avoid it at all costs actually embrace it and say okay what am i going to learn from this then Definitely. I think that's that's a great example. And yeah, I'm impressed by your <laughs> how much of a risk you're able to take. And I imagine I think that is such a good point that when you do set, you know, something like this happens, whether or not it was something you chose or even if something occurs, you know, you have to move somewhere or something like that, that happens to figure out, well, what positive things can come out of it? You know, what kind of independence, what kind of sense of new routines, new tasks do kids take on potentially as a result of needing to try something new or needing to be in a different environment. So I do think that it is so stressful to be in even somewhere new, like a new neighborhood. Um, But sometimes to have children say, well, what can I take from this? You know, what can we learn from it? And having those conversations that are kind of self-aware about, you know, this was hard for me or like, I'm not sure I can do this, but I'm going to give it a shot. Um, And say, reflecting on that with kids, I think is really helpful. I actually found that myself. I started um, open water swimming during the pandemic. So swimming in lakes and, uh, you know, larger bodies of water. And I was a little nervous about that at first. But I think uh, my kids also just now laugh about that. Like, oh, you're going to go drop off in the lake and start swimming around. Um, And I think that does encourage them to try new things as well. That is the truth. We were recently at a... um... Uh, I don't even know what you call it because I'm so irregularly there, a park um, with uh, roller coasters, that sort of thing. And I'm not a roller coaster person. I had an injury on my back really early in my teen years. So I resist things that I know are going to purposely cause me trouble, but I'm not afraid of the heights per se. And I was surprised to see my kids try things that 
normally they would never have an opportunity to do that. And that they're just not that level of risk takers, but they were willing to take those risks and encourage that. And I also the other day was at the ocean and one of my girls was stung by a jellyfish when she was young and had been afraid to go into the waters and so I kind of ventured in anyways and we're jumping waves and tasting the salty water and she followed with us and she was essentially she's grown up now and has that fear but she went in because I was there and Mm -hmm. so we create that energy definitely and I think to recognize sort of like that we can feel the fear and we can still do things I think is so powerful so it's not to say oh I'm not afraid you know but to talk about the fact that you can feel something you can feel these emotions and then overcome them or in you know go through them in a way um and I think yeah it's the modeling being such a critical part of that so I love that story it's beautiful so is there anything that you'd really like to leave with the homeschool moms that are listening to us yes I think I would say first that um all of these things can start with really small shifts. So I think that if you are feeling like, oh, what is, you know, how would this look in my life or how would this conversation be? Um, I think to really just take five or 10 minutes um, in a day and to really sit with a child or multiple children and try this out, sort of sit with your child, see what they're interested in, even sit in silence with them as they, whether or not they're younger and they're doing some kind of play or older and working on a project and just really pay attention to what's happening and start to talk with them about what they're doing, what interests them about it and things like that. Um, I think that these kind of small shifts can be really jump starts um, and shift things that are, you know, in the family kind of larger patterns. So I really encourage just to start out small and to see how it goes. I love the title of your book, The Art of Talking with Children. I want to add The Art of Talking with Children in the Rain. <laughs> that reminds me of... Oh, yes. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, children. I like that. <laughs> or on sunny days or... Or on sunny days. Any day. Any day can work. Yes, that's great. Jumpstart, <laughs> jumpstart conversations with kids that help them bounce back from challenges. So as a way um, for us to address all the challenges that we've been speaking to, what are the basic tenets of how to jumpstart those conversations to help them get back into a piece of, would you say security or comfort? Yeah. So at first I would say find the right time. Yeah. So I think sometimes kids, when they've just faced a challenge, we want to have those conversations, but kids aren't ready for it. Not all kids. So yeah. some kids will, but some kids need some time. So I think first to wait, to let kids have that time and to see if you can reflect with them after some time has passed, if they need it, yeah. um, when they're a bit calmer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also helping them recognize well, what about this sort of separate out the good from the bad? Um, sometimes kids are really black and white thinkers, you know, so it was all terrible or I'll never get it. Um, so separate that out and say, well, what about it worked well? What about it didn't work? Mm-hmm. And start to analyze together with them. Why do we think it didn't work? Uh, and then I think taking a more optimistic or future oriented kind of problem solving approach. Like what can we do differently? Like, well, I'm on your side. Let's see if we can try to get over this together? What can we think about trying next? Um, And so I think to take just that one step um, and seeing, well, how can we chart our progress? How can we see if we did better? Um, I think a lot of times kids do feel like it's all or nothing. Like either I I ran this whole race or I failed because I stopped in the middle, you know, but it's like, well, let's see what progress you made. You ran half the race, you know, that's much more than you ran last time. Um, And even some kids prefer something visual. So like, let's actually see how far you've come. 
And I think to actually take that optimistic tone and finding the right time are really key in terms of helping kids become resilient over time. I love all the different elements of this conversation because I think they're so key to parents, obviously to benefit the children, but to parents so that we can feel an ease of, are we doing this good enough? Yeah, you are. Exactly. Yes. I think that's the thing. It's like, if you are thinking about this and you are being self-aware about it, yes, I'm sure you're doing a wonderful job. So I think that self-compassion yeah. is so important. Yeah. Such a beautiful conversation. It's been a rich talk, should I yes. say? Oh, thank you. Yes. I very much enjoyed it myself. <laughs> oh, I could talk to you for ages. I can tell I could talk to you for ages, so many different things. And I think, um, you know, as one mom to another, I know what it's like to feel like, oh, I went into this trying to be a perfect parent. And that's not a thing. But you are so advantaged. Your kids are so advantaged just by your self-awareness and all the things that you've gained. And I wish you and your children the ability to overcome all the challenges that you have in your family. And I can truly look at your or I look at your perspective as a parent that has all this I would say nourishing research behind you as you parent and they will be so benefited and so blessed by it. No, oh, thank you so much. I've been so impressed by your work as well. And so I really appreciate um, you're taking the time to have this conversation. So oh, I love it so much. I genuinely do. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. So where do we find you and your book online? Yeah. So I have a website. So you can find me just at www.rebeccaroland.com. So it's two C's and Rebecca and two L's and Roland. Um, and I also have a weekly newsletter there that I've just started. So you can have tips and I take questions and things like that. Um, and you can also find my book on Amazon or HarperCollins or wherever books are sold pretty much. The Art of Talking with Children. Love it. And also, it is such a pleasure chatting with you and having all these different conversation bits. This was so useful. Oh, so thank, thank you. you yeah, I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining me too. What a conversation. I hope it has compelled you to consider again the most important element of your homeschool. And if you've listened this long, I'm going to guess that you most definitely are considering how your relationship, the atmosphere in your home, the way that you show up and the way that you expect to engage your kids, how well you listen and really hear the hearts of your kids, that you are indeed doing just that. So well done, Mama. If you are a regular listener, I would be most appreciative if you could head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening and share a review. It helps to put this podcast in front of other homeschool moms. Until next week, I hope that you and your homeschool kids can turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. You got this, girlfriend. <laughs>